Welcome to TGI, Tourism Geography Insights, the podcast of Tourism Geography's journal where we discuss our latest research and developments of our peer-reviewed journal which explores tourism and tourism-related areas of recreation and leisure studies from a geographic perspective. I am Jamie Gillen. I am a director of global studies here at Waipapa Tomata Rao, the University of Auckland in beautiful Aotearoa, New Zealand. We are in the middle of summer here, and I'm one of the co-hosts of the Tourism Geographies podcast, which is brought to you by the journal Tourism Geographies, an international journal of tourism, space, place, and environment. So today... I'm speaking with Dr. Phoebe Ebringham, who's an interdisciplinary scholar and researcher and teacher at the University of Newcastle in uh, New South Wales, Australia. Her paper that we are going to be talking about was published in the 24th volume uh, in 2022, last year, in the second and third issues, which is a double issue. The page numbers are 223 to 243. She's co-authored this paper with Sarah C. Mata, who's a colleague of hers at Newcastle. And the title of the paper is Decolonizing the Autonomy of Effect in Volunteer Tourism Encounters. Welcome, Phoebe. Thank you, Jamie. We will be jumping in right now to a series of questions about the paper and about uh, where the authors came, came about writing this, why they're interested in this topic, uh, what kind of audience they would wish to speak to and, and literatures that they've addressed. And this is quite a, uh, an important paper. This is quite a, a rich and theoretically complex paper. So it'll be fun to, to tease it apart today during our conversation. Start with acknowledging the fact that I'm talking to Jamie today on settler colonial lands in Australia, specifically from the geographical location of Newcastle, other, otherwise known as Mullumbimba, and on the intersection of Awabakal and Waramai lands. And I'd also like to acknowledge that this paper is also co-authored with my um, friend, compañera, colleague, Associate Professor Sarah Motta, who's a really uh, internationally renowned decolonial feminist scholar. So I couldn't have done this paper without her. Wonderful. And we send a shout out to Dr. Uh, Mata. Thank you for uh, working on this paper with Phoebe. It's exciting to see your name. And I wasn't embarrassingly too familiar with Sarah's work, but it was great to read about her citations and how you engaged with her work in this paper. So mad respect to Professor Mata at Newcastle. We're going to come uh, dive right into the questions. And the first question to you, Phoebe, is what question or problem does this uh, paper and research set out to understand? So I think the first thing to understand about this paper is positioning it within the special issue that it was part of, which was effective achievements in tourism studies. And that was um, guest edited by Darina Maria Buda and Jenny, uh, Jenny German moles And so this special issue was really about calling on papers that were furthering the interests of connections between emotions, feelings, affects and senses in tourism. And that's something that's always been really interesting to me and, you know, was really part, a huge part of my PhD was just sort of analysing the ways that uh, the emotional geographies and affect really 
place us within the tourism spaces that we're in and how that kind of more than rational or more than representational aspects of the social world just give us much deeper insights into what's actually happening within the embodied encounters in tourism spaces and how we make sense of those spaces and also in relation to the ways in which our emotions are entangled within these broader kind of uh, power dynamics as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the paper is really, it, it does kind of draw on case studies from my PhD, but the PhD was completed quite a, a while ago now, five years ago, but the field work was even further than that. And that was in 2011 and 2012. So the paper does draw on that field work as a case study. However, it's also a retrospective paper after after thinking through these theoretical issues around emotions and affect, as well as my continuing interest in drawing on decolonial theories to understand, to further understand power dynamics in tourism spaces, but then also decolonial feminist theory in further unpacking how subjectivity and emotions and affect also perpetuate or disrupt those kind of power dynamics. Fantastic. Thanks for explaining that. And we should also add that the um, case study material is based on your fieldwork in Ecuador. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, the fieldwork was based, um, the fieldwork from my PhD was in Ecuador and in Peru. But this paper just looks at the case study that was in Ecuador, which was a volunteer tourism organization, which was quite an interesting one, actually. I always put forward this particular organization as a really best practice volunteer tourism organization because it's not couched within these kind of development aid models of uh, mm. that commodify these ideas that you come here to help. It's really about creativity and freedom of expression and so basically the case study is it's called La Biblioteca which is just a a a building in in Ecuador where it's a it's a children's library and the children can come there every day after school and for a couple of hours and the volunteers first of all read books with the with the children in Spanish and then they do creative activities depending on whatever kind of creative project the volunteers want to bring so it's very much focused around creativity joy reading for pleasure fun spontaneity and intercultural connections fantastic thank you that's really interesting i have i've not heard of an organization in volunteer tourism that that goes to that to those to that world um and and to and treats the volunteer tourism case in a certain um, well, sort of a light touch and less commodified way. So that's really- I think it's funny that you say that, Jamie, because um, <laughs> I don't think the organisation would, would consider itself to be volunteer tourism to begin with. So in terms of how we label these organisations, there's a lot of questions there. But also I think the volunteers themselves wouldn't like to call themselves volunteer tourists. And I know there's been a lot of research around those issues around how we present this form of tourism but I think there's a lot of interesting questions to unpack there but yes you're right there's not a lot of research or discussion around what volunteer tourism could be 
if it wasn't framed within those kind of development aid discourses and and um, frameworks. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Interesting. Thank you. We're, we'll move on to the second question, which you've addressed a bit, but I think there's more space for, for further answers, further comments. Um, the second question, can you please, Phoebe, describe the background and context of the work, the where, when, why, how, uh, when all this went down? Yeah, I think um, I was really intrigued when the when the abstract came around as a call out for papers around emotion and effects, because I've been following those kind of theoretical debates in tourism since the beginning of my PhD. And then specifically, there's some really interesting debates within the volunteer tourism field itself that really draw on these emotional and affective geographies. And I think that makes sense because of the way that those these programs are framed in terms of like helping and being a kind of tourist that really promotes this idea of backstage tourism, authenticity, a kind of more ethical form of tourism, which really gets to the heart of the kind of emotional aspects of the the kind of the, the guilt, the how we understand poverty, how we understand our own positionality, the idea of wanting to do a form of tourism that doesn't harm. So it makes sense, I think, that there is already a lot of debates within the field already around the emotional and affective aspects of that in terms of, you know, the idea of wanting to help or or wanting to have a kind of tourism experience that doesn't harm. And in terms of those debates, I became very interested in the ways that various theorists were drawing on different affective theorists such as Masumi and this idea of effect being autonomous. And I started to become really interested in the kind of intersection between how much is affect autonomous from, uh, from a conscious, rational sort of perspective as Masumi frames it, and how much of affect is also, it's it's non-conscious, but it's also conscious. And I sort of started to grapple with those kind of philosophical dimensions of how much of our affect and cognition and emotions is rational or not. And I think that, that was sort of the starting point for this paper. And I, you know, had a lot of discussions with my dear friend, Sarah, around this and, you know, her work in decolonial feminism talks a lot about the embodied aspects of colonization and subjectivity and how we position out how we are positioned and how we position ourselves in these structures of power that are inherently colonial and so I guess in talking to her and reading more of her work I, I, I sort of thought it, it sort of I started to think about the ways that you know, and in particularly in tourism studies, there hasn't been a lot of engagement with decolonial feminist theory in general, let alone in the emotional affective spheres of tourism geography. And um, and what I what what really drew me to those kind of decolonial traditions was was the the ways that they were able to articulate a non-binary approach. Mm-hmm. to emotions and affect and I think that really struck a chord for me because when I was in the field of course I'm positioned as this white settler colonial subject from Australia 
And then, of course, you know, traveling in the in the global south and doing research in the global south, you know, and I'm positioned as a gringa. But yet at the same time, I also have these incredible embodied encounters with local people that couldn't just be framed as an either or binary of who has the power or who who does not. And I mean, obviously, I have the power in the sense of a kind of, you know, privileged monetary, you know, that that kind of angle but I draw on this notion of uh speaking Spanish or speaking Spanglish because I was really interested in the ways that those power relations could be subverted and I think for me it was really in the realms of that languaging where those mm-hmm. subversions could happen because all of a sudden I'm not the master or I'm not the you know the global English hegemonic speaker and I'm trying to engage in a different language which really puts me in a position of vulnerability and that's where this notion of critical intimacy comes in which um, which is a concept that Sarah Motta works with and that con- that that idea of critical intimacy was just something that really struck me within those kind of in-between spaces of of power because on the one hand these kind of structural power, power dynamics are at play and of course they affect my encounters but at the same time by me trying to speak a language that's not my own and to be laughed at and to have these moments of empathy where people are really trying to understand me speaking a language that's not my own just really struck me that there was something else really interesting going on here that the decolonial feminist theory was able to help me articulate nice yeah those Thanks for all that, because those those layers that you're describing come out within the paper. It's a, it's a dense read. It's a really important read because you're you're trying to weave together a theoretical position that reflects the very messy and important, you know, exceptionally fun and interesting and fascinating and and life giving encounters that you're you're having in the field. So it probably wasn't an easy paper to write, um, and it, it's come it comes out well because I do think you've find the sweet spot uh, between all of these theories and between these debates in the lived experience of, of being a white settler who wants to decolonize not only uh, oneself, but the entire experience. So that's, 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 yeah, that's right. And I think actually it's really interesting. I mean, it was a really, it was a really fun paper to conceptualize with Sarah. You know, we had lots of backyard chats over glasses of wine and trying to unpack all of these complex concepts. And of course, we both have very different positionalities with coloniality, her being more of a mestiza, Colombian, indigenous heritage, but then also with European heritage as well. So already kind of living in the borderland spaces of identity. And then me being this kind of sort of white privileged subject and for me, I think the, you know, how, how do I engage in decolonial theory from that positionality? And what she really helped me to unpack was this idea of unlearning and that that was something that I could contribute to these kind of decolonial perspectives because I can't speak for the other from my positionality, but what I can do is speak for that white positioned subjectivity that that can go through an unlearning of coloniality and that unlearning process is something that I've spent probably the last 10 years really trying to reflect on and what what does that mean and what are my responsibilities 
in relation to unlearning my coloniality. I, I don't think I'll ever get to the end of my life with any solid answers to that, but it's definitely a process that I think me and, and any white person who's interested in unpacking coloniality has a responsibility to engage with. Great. Yeah, no, there's a, a sense of conviction to this paper, which I find really uh, endearing and also really valuable from, uh, um, from, a, from the perspective of the tourism geographies literature. The third question is, and this is going to be a, a, a tough one, perhaps, but uh, you may want to center on one theory or one particular concept that you would like to share with listeners. And one, the question is, can you briefly describe the theory or concepts that underpin this work? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a hard question, considering that the paper itself is trying to work with several theorizations of affect. And I think in general, I could say that there is this idea of affect as being disconnected from rationality, which is really Masumi's understanding of affect. And then there's the kind of feminist understandings of affect such as Tolia Kelly who really talks about that kind of non-binary understandings of affect as never being able to be completely disentangled from the cognitive because they're so bound up within each other and then from there jumping into the decolonial feminist theory which really unpacks that concept of in-betweenness in a lot more of a deeper sense and really kind of disentangles those binaries even further because we're not just talking about a, a connection between the cognitive and the body, but we're also talking about the implications of our cognitive and embodied sense of being in a colonial world mm -hmm. and, and what that actually what is the significance of that in relation to how we're positioned in relation to coloniality? And I think, yeah, the paper just, it really tries to grapple with some of those really, really complex questions that, again, I don't think can ever completely be answered, but can mm -hmm. be partially answered and can definitely be explored. Mm -hmm. I, I think despite the fact that you're ex extremely well-read and both you and the, and, and the paper comes across as being extremely knowledgeable about a lot of different theories. Something I think that's important for me as a reader of the paper that comes out a lot is the sense of hopefulness, the sense that yeah. this, you know, critique is important and it's something that we do so well in tourism geography, but there's a sense of finding a, a, a way forward that can grapple with very difficult ideas like volunteer tourism, and the, the, the commodification of volunteer tourism, the depoliticization of volunteer tourism as, as occurs in many places, um, and the exploitation, and, and find a way that volunteer tourism can, can operate for both the host and guest in a way that, that I hadn't read before. So congratulations. Oh, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Jamie, because that is also such an important aspect that threads through all of my work actually is the sense of possibility and hope and hope is actually something that I've explored as a theoretical construct in a lot of my work and I think that's also why I've moved into kind of uh, decolonial theory as well because 
it's it's from the work from the decolonial theorists where there is a sense of of hope in a way that and I know hope is a very it, it could be seen as a very naive concept but there's something about the survival of uh, communities in a non-hegemonic order that has this very kind of affective, hopeful being in the world, whether it's through music or art or, or dance, right? And I think for me, that's something that really plays out in my lived experience of all of my travels around South America and having been married to a Brazilian as well, where there is this, there is such an importance in survivance and the survival comes from joy and that comes through embodiment and affect through things that are intangible, like creativity and music, for example. Mm, and so oh, I yeah. think for <laughs> me, I mean, you know, I, I am a critical theorist. I guess you say, you know, I'm a critical theorist, but I'm not the kind of critical theorist that wants to use critical theory to shut down possibility. And mm. I guess for me, that was something that really drew me to the work of Sarah Motta as well, was that a lot of her work draws on this idea of, of possibility because there is no other way but to to hope right or to have have possibility for survival or have possibility for connection and I think that goes to an, another concept that I really should have talked about when you asked me that question before around critical intimacy and that's um Sarah Motta's she's done a lot of work on that concept I mean she that is her concept really and mm. it's this idea of becoming other in thought practice as embodied subjects. And in order to become other and to connect across cultures or and across power differentials, I don't think we can really do that unless we pay attention to these everyday moments of vulnerability, unlearnings and recognitions that open up these possibilities for critical intimacy. But vulnerability is a huge part of that. And I guess that's why for me, looking at this idea of languaging was just a way into some kind of bridge. Enzel Dewar calls it being an intersubject and that we don't have to have these binary ways of looking at self and other. Um, at the same time, we have to acknowledge that there are power differences and differentials there, mm -hmm. but what does it truly mean to become an intersubject? It means being vulnerable. It means unlearning. It means having those kind of critical into critically intimate moments. Wonderful, cool, thanks. I mean, I can sense the passion in the paper and I can sense the passion in our conversation. It's really neat. And I'm, I don't write about volunteer tourism. I really enjoy it. And in, I'm interested as a, as a scholar of tourism geography. And I teach a lot about tourism, about, about volunteer tourism. And some of, the, some of the debates that you're involved in are great for teaching, especially at the upper division undergrad and, and in the postgrad spaces. So I think that, some of the ways that you layer the, the argument will really open up a lot of doors for, for students who are interested in volunteer tourism and not just rehashing some of the same old uh, debates from the news, for example. So well Yeah, done. that's great. Thanks, Jamie. That's great to hear. Okay, quite, thank you. Yeah, sure. Uh, question number four, what are the key takeaways so that listeners and readers of the paper should know about? What are some things that you hope the, the folks will, will take from this paper? I think I mean I think we've we've already gotten to a bit of that I guess but for me the key takeaway is always to 
to look for the possibilities to not be shut down by binaries. My passion is creating better worlds, right? And, you know, volunteer tourism does, I guess that's the whole way that it's couched is this alternative mode of travel that could potentially build better worlds. But, Mm -hmm. of course, it's got all of these problems in terms of being couched in development aid white saviour contexts but what can like how can we do volunteer tourism otherwise and I think that's always the thing that I've really gained from decolonial theory is how do we build worlds otherwise it's not good enough just to be critical yes we can be critical that's the starting point we need to be critical but at the same time we also need to be looking for possibilities to find ways where we can connect with each other as humans across cultures across different knowledge systems and uh, and of course that also I think is the heart of all of the problems that we have in the world today is and and that includes environmental problems and climate change and everything else is the inability to really engage with different kinds of knowledge systems and different ways of being in the world and different ways of thinking about issues and how things can be done differently or otherwise. So for me, I think as a critical tourism scholar, I always try to find the ways forward and 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 I, I don't want to just close close off or you know and we talk about effective closures. I mean sometimes you know, I can talk about possibility. That doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to, you know, we don't want to privilege the idea of possibility and connection and that, that automatically happens because it doesn't. You have to go through a lot of unlearning and you have to be, you have to go through processes of vulnerability and, you know, negative emotions, whether that's embarrassment or whatever that Agnes. is. Okay, thanks. We're on to our fifth a uh, question for Phoebe Everingham, who's here with us talking about her paper from last year in Tourism Geographies, uh, co-authored with Sarah Mata. And the last question is, what are some further or last comments you have on this paper for, for listeners and readers? Is there anything you, it's been written, it was, it was published online a few years ago, so it pro- probably in some ways feels like it's uh, a recollection rather than something that's fresh in your mind, but is there anything you'd like to update us on or anything that uh, you feel that if you had to, if you could write it over again, you would do uh, differently? I think, you know, I think this is a paper that goes beyond just debates around volunteer tourism. I think for me, volunteer tourism has always just been a case study for exploring different theoretical understandings of power. And, you know, to be honest, I, I don't really see myself doing any more work in the field around volunteer tourism because I'm sort of more interested in different things now. But But I think in terms of the field work, I would love to go back and do my field work differently, coming from all of the things that I I think about now, of course, but I mean, I wouldn't have got to my thinking now without being in the field. So it's kind of a bit of a, a circle, but I think if I was to do my field work again, I would definitely, I would definitely be Um, more attuned to just the different kind of relationships and encounters within the field itself and getting more of a a kind of insight 
into the local host perspective. Although, mm. of course, that's really hard to do. And I did try to get to that to some degree. But, um, yeah, I think, of course, going back into the field, just knowing what I, I know now would be it. <laughs> I just, I, I would be attuned and attentive to more things than I was at the time. But then, again, you can't really say that because I wouldn't have got to it without it. So, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a book. It's got multiple chapters and sometimes books end. And on that note, when you said I, I'm past the, you, might, you probably won't write much more, if, if anything, about volunteer tourism. Is there anything in the tourism field that you're working on now that you'd like to share with folks? Well, you know, it's just been really interesting the last couple of years, hasn't it? As the tourism has been shut down from COVID. But I think, you know, I think as critical tourism scholars, the whole COVID-19 pandemic has really has really uh, blown up the debates around the problems of tourism dependency. For me, I'm just really interested in how we can move forward with more regenerative forms of tourism that really do benefit people in place. I've been doing a little bit of work over in the Pacific in Samoa and working with communities over there to really kind of put forward a bit of a regenerative tourism agenda. And I think... Yeah. I guess I'm more interested in tourism as an industry now, as opposed to when I did my PhD, I wasn't really coming into it as a tourism scholar. I was coming into it more as a, you know, human geographer, anthropologist, and tourism was just a kind of case study to understand some of those bigger concepts. But now, I mean, I've been teaching in the, in the business school for the last few years, and which is so ironic I never would have thought that I would have seen myself there but I actually just think that like tourism as a business as an industry there's so many interesting things to unpack in that space oh, yeah. and for me I'm just very much broadly interested in how we can shift away from capitalist exploit exploitative models and models that really kind of perpetuate these colonial violences towards ensuring that tourism can benefit local communities but of course you know, it's very important to have those relationships with those communities to really do that properly. So I, I think at the moment, I'm just really focusing on developing and enriching those relationships that I have over there at the moment. Wonderful. We're, we're really excited to hear where that lead, leads you and leads us as, as, as readers of your work. It's been really nice speaking with you, Phoebe. Uh, thanks so much for joining uh, Tourism Geographies podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It was really, really fun. Yeah, it's great. For listeners, uh, we want to point you in the direction of Phoebe and Sarah's paper. And, and once again, that paper title is Decolonizing the Autonomy of Affect in Volunteer Tourism Encounters. You can find it on the uh, Tourism and Geographies website. It's uh, hosted by Taylor and Francis. And you're welcome to get in touch with Phoebe. Her email address is available on the website. It's also here. It's phoebe.everingham at newcastle.edu.au. Thanks again, Phoebe, for joining us. And don't forget, you can follow Tourism Geographies on Twitter uh, at Tourism Journal. That's Tourism Journal. And we look forward to seeing you, listening to you, and speaking with you down the road. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you again on Tourism Geographies podcast.